My name is Ben. My privilege this morning is to open up the Word of God together. We believe the Word of God is living and it's active. And when we hear it and when we read it, it has the power to change us. It has the power to alter us. It has the power to do significant work in our life. It has the power to rescue us. It has the power to break shackles, as we've heard this morning. So may I encourage you, not just for my sake, but primarily for your sake, to listen well this morning, to do whatever helps you. If note-taking helps you, go for it. If it distracts, then don't do it. If you're getting a bit tired, a bit sleepy, stand up and walk around. It does not bother me. The kids are in. It's a little bit messy. That's fine. We're, we're just focusing on the Word of God and we're going to listen. Let's do what helps us best. Okay? We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at Paul, the Apostle Paul. Um, we're going to look at who he is and how he deals with, with certain situations in his life. I just want to briefly remind you of who the Apostle Paul was, just in case you're unfamiliar with him. He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was educated to the highest religious order as a Jew. He is the writer of 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And the BBC website, the ultimate source obviously, says this of Paul, he gave us not only some of the profoundest, not sure about the grammar here, pieces of early history, early Christian theological reflection, but also some of the finest, most poignant writing in history. And we also know that he brought the gospel to most of the Roman world as then was during his lifetime. We also find out from Acts that his handkerchiefs healed people. Now, I would never claim to be in the same category of Paul, but I have a used tissue in my back pocket. If anyone wants to take advantage of that at any point during the meeting or afterwards, I'm happy to do that. I don't think much is going to happen, I'll be honest with you. But the point I'm making is this. Paul was an impressive character. Paul achieved many things for God. We can look at him and be astounded about what he achieved in his lifetime. How courageous he was. How um, the amazing words of scripture that he writes that are some of the most poignant writings in history. We can be dazzled by him in some ways. 2 Corinthians also tells us that he had great revelations, significant revelations and meetings with God. But the book of 2 Corinthians really is about Paul trying to win the Corinthian church to himself. He's an apostle, therefore his job is to look after, plant and grow churches so that he sees the gospel spread. And that's what he's done trying to do with the Corinthian church. But he's been with them and then he's come away and super apostles, as they self-title themselves, have got in and they have taught lies and falsehood and are leading the Corinthian church astray. So Paul... This impressive character is trying to win the church back to him because he knows that's the safest place for them to be. So the book of 2 Corinthians, a lot of it is devoted to that. And what we're going to look at really is is his primary strategy for winning those people and then work out what we can learn from that. So let's read from verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, um, it's a slightly different version on here, I think, than what I've got. So I'm going to read from here. Um, oh, we're going to read from therefore. So he's talked about these surpassingly great revelations. Then he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul could have talked about how impressive he was. Paul talked about his weaknesses, his difficulties, his struggles. He talks about them because it demonstrates to him that he is an authentic apostle. It demonstrates to the Corinthians that he is an authentic apostle of Jesus. We're going to look at how Paul viewed weakness. Really, that's what we're going to do this morning. And look at how he gained strength. So if you've got your life sorted this morning, if you've got no problems and no difficulties, I'll give you permission to switch off. Because nothing I have to say will help you. If you don't feel weak... If you don't have difficult times, then this message isn't for you, I'm afraid. However, if like me, you have times of weakness, of challenge, of difficulty, I hope this message this morning will encourage you to get hold of a biblical view of weakness and difficulties and to just change your perception of those things and of yourself and of what God can do through you. So we're going to just wander through, walk through this passage together and get hold of it and see what it means for us today. Verse 7. Therefore, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Much debate all over the world about what the thorn in the flesh is. Actually, we don't really know. It could have been illness. It could have been some guy who was just following around being horrendously unhelpful. Could have been many different things, but actually for us it's quite helpful that we don't know. Because we know this, that Paul suffered severely. He called it a thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan that tormented him. So if you're this morning feeling like you've got a thorn in your flesh, if you feel like you're being tormented in some way, you're in good company. This man who took the gospel to the known Roman world experienced that himself. The first point I wanted to get hold of, though, is this, that God used that to humble Paul. Satan is used by God to produce good character in Paul. The sovereignty of God is so amazing that what the enemy chooses to do for good, he can flip over in an instant and, sorry, do for bad, and we can flip it over and do it for good. How frustrating must that be if you're a messenger of Satan? Oh, I'm going to get Paul. I'm really going to get him. And God goes, thank you. That's exactly what he needed. I'll just flip it over, a bit of humility for you, Paul, there. And there are circumstances in our lives that God uses for our good, even though they are bad. And the story of Joseph, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, is a perfect example of that. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers who have 
sold him off to slavery, got rid of him, and Joseph goes off for years and years and years, eventually becomes the ruler of Egypt. Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for harm, God intended for good, for the saving of a nation. Joseph's view of God's sovereignty is huge. He knows that difficult times will come for God's glory and for our good. But Paul didn't take it lying down. He didn't just, just accept it. He, he says this, I pleaded three times to the Lord to take it away. And there are things and circumstances and difficulties and we should pray and we should ask God to take them away. It's not like we should just accept them because God's working good through it. There needs to be a tenacity. There needs to be a clinging to God. There needs to be prayer. And God answers those prayers. He always answers those prayers. The answer he gave to Paul was not the one he wanted, nor the one he expected. What does he say? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul sees knows, is wrapped up in God's grace when life is difficult. And let me just say categorically that if you are in a difficult situation right now, if life is hard, if things are challenging you, God's for you still. God's with you. His favor is abundantly for you. He's not turned his face away. His love hasn't suddenly stopped. Paul had this messenger of Satan, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. We can look back, I'm sure, over life and difficult times that we've come through, and we can say, God's grace was sufficient for me. But if in the midst of it now, we can't, sometimes we're not as confident, are we? But let's look back and reflect on what he has done, because he will do it again. His grace is sufficient. His grace will be sufficient. And amazingly, we have this statement that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. What's that really mean? God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Take it away, God. No, I'm leaving it there because I want my power to be made perfect in weakness. One commentator reflecting on that phrase said it's a bit like coming to a great artist and saying, I'd love you to paint a picture for me, but the, the picture, we, we bring him a canvas to paint on, but we've already had to go ourselves. You know, a few stick men and some trees and a blue sky at the top and green at the bottom and white in the middle because we've not quite learned how to paint properly yet. And we bring it to God and bring it to the painter and say, Can you make a beautiful picture out of this? He says, Well, oh, I'll give it a bash. I'll fill in the gaps. But actually, this phrase, he says, is something like coming to God and saying, Look, I'm weak. My life is a blank canvas. I don't want to try and do it by myself. I don't want to try and scribble or do something pathetic. It's our, God's power is made perfect in weakness. When we give him, our weakness gives him a blank canvas on which to paint. Our confession of our weakness and our confidence in our weakness is saying to God, 
I'm relying on your power and your ability, your great masterpiece that you're going to produce. I know I can't do it. His power is made perfect in our weakness. We want to be able to do that and let, let him do that in our lives. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just accept this significant thing of God's grace being sufficient and God's power being made perfect in weakness. He realizes he's got a job to do. He's got a role in this. He realizes the implications of that promise from God. And so what does he say? He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul's like, okay, if God says his power's made perfect in my weakness, I want Christ's power to rest on me more. So what am I going to do? What's the, what's the working out? Let's use a little bit of logic here. I, I know. I'm going to boast in my weakness. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll boast. If I boast in my weakness, then Christ's power will come and rest on me. But just think for a moment how countercultural that is, how hard that is, how difficult it is. I don't know about in the... Can you remember, if you were at school now, or can you remember being at school and when you're trying to make friends, or maybe if you're a student and you've just started at university and you're aware that you've got to make new friendship groups, and what, how do you do that? You know, obviously, you don't show off, but you might step up and oh, let's, let's go for playground scenario. Hi, can I be your friend? Because uh, I'm pretty good at football, uh, I've, got, I've got an action man. Reference point from my childhood. I've got, a, uh, I've got a transformer that's this big, and uh, I've got a trampoline in my garden. Yeah, uh, I can run pretty fast, third fastest in the year, third. And, um, and I've got a really good set of incredible Hulk underpants. Yeah, can I be a friend? Can I be a friend? That's how we do it. But how about the other way around? Boasting our weakness. Well, I'm really scared of the dark and uh, pretty scared of girls as well, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Kiss Chase is like my nightmares come true, so I'm no good at that. Um, I'm pretty good in goals, but only because I'm fairly large and so I cover a lot of area in the football game, so just stick me in goals. But, uh, and um, occasionally I still have little accidents, so... <laughs> But do you want to be my friend? It's totally counter the way we're built because we're built to impress people. We, and, we're, and that's the way we operate, isn't it? If you want to be friends with someone, you don't go, right, I'm going to pick the weakest person here and they're my friend. That's how we get in it. It was politicians, the latest, the latest Labour leader party thing. You didn't get them going up... Jeremy Corbyn going up and going, I am rubbish at public speaking. I've got no way of controlling finances. I've no idea what my international policy will be. But hey, I'm a pretty nice guy. That's not how he won votes. They try and impress. And this thing Paul says here, I'm just trying to explain how counter, how opposite, how different it is to the way that the whole of society is, is made up. And I'm going to labor the point because we've got a really difficult job if we're going to get hold of a biblical view of weakness. If we really are going to have Christ's power rest on us, we've really got to get hold of this point. Paul was desperate for Christ's power to come 
So what did he decide to do? I'm going to boast. Not just boast, boast gladly in my weakness. So that Christ's power may rest on me. And that, that phrase, may rest on me, is a really interesting phrase. In the original language, it means to pitch a tent on. I want Christ to, to pitch his power on me. I really want it to cover the whole of me, everything. And it, for me, it like, forms this, for a slightly more modern reference, it's that Star Trek enterprise with a force field around it. I want Christ's power to come and rest on me. I want Christ's power to be this force field around me so you can't touch me. No, that's not the point. We want Christ's power to rest on us though he's at work in our life so our weaknesses allow that and bring it in. But he doesn't just stop there. My friends, let's get our heads around this. This guy is mental. He doesn't just stop there. He says, therefore, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Delight, my friends. That word means I take pleasure. It is a positive thing. This is good. I get my positive emotions and I wrap them around these things. I don't see them as negative. I delight in. Let's see what he delights in. Weaknesses. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Hands up if you've experienced any of those. Hands up if you delighted in them. It's not what we naturally do, is it? And I understand that. I get that. But there's something here I want us to get hold of that is significantly going to change how we view weakness and insults and difficulties and hardships. Paul delights in them. He attaches positive values and positive emotions to those things. Why does he do that? Because Christ's power comes in those situations and those scenarios. So, a famous passage in Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul says this, I want to know Christ. Hallelujah! We agree with Paul. And the power of his resurrection. Amen! And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Well, yeah. That's an interesting one, Paul. I'm going to hold back my amen just for a while on that one. But coming to that passage from where we are today, for me, that has enlightened that passage a bit more. We're just looking at it from the opposite angle, aren't we? So when there's persecution or sufferings, we know God's power, which means we know God more. For Paul, the three were together. It's part and parcel. And for Paul, when there was difficulties, when there was, he was weak, it was the prime situation, the prime opportunity for him to know God's power more and to know God more. And so he finishes with this famous but wonderful phrase, for when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that, the word strong there has the sense of 
then I have sufficient, then I have enough, then I'm able. So you could actually render that, that sentence for when I'm, when I'm weak, then I can. Which sounds completely illogical, but that is really what Paul is saying. Drawing on this great theology, drawing on the great power of Jesus, all that Christ offers him in his weakness, he can say, for when I am weak, then I can. So if we just started with that statement, you'd look to me blankly and say, that makes no sense. But hopefully, right now, when I make that sentence, it does make sense. Because we're boasting and delighting in our weaknesses, our difficulties, the insults and the persecutions. This is different. This is new. This is not the way we naturally process things. But if you're suitably cynical, maybe you're asking, is this principle always true? Is it always right? No. Let me give some silly examples. Uh, My youngest daughter, Elsie, is two. She is lightweight. And I will throw her around quite easily. No problems at all. No problems to my back. No no safety problems for her. My eldest daughter, who is seven, will see that and will often ask me, Daddy, can you do it with me now? (laughs) No chance. No way. When I'm weak, then I can. No, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to apply that theology to that situation. I think, no. When I'm weak, I'm weak there. And that's okay, and that's fine, because I don't need Christ's power to rest on me, to throw my seven-year-old daughter in the sky, fortunately. What about another situation? We were chatting last night with friends, um, Andy and Hannah Bryson. And they were talking about a situation where their medic friend, trainee year, 18 years old, going to visit the hospital as part of the training, unfortunately looked older than he actually was, got approached by a nurse saying, doctor, doctor, we need you in Ward 4, come, come, come. And he didn't say, when I'm weak, then I can, take me. He said, no, you've made a mistake. I'm not a doctor. I'm not the right person for this situation. When I'm weak, then I can. When is the principle, when when do we apply it then? When do we get hold of this? When can we be confident that it's the case? Well, let's take a broader context for the statement for what Paul's making here. We've talked about him being an apostle, an apostle, which means he's been sent by God to go and plant churches and preach the gospel. That is what he's been called to do. And the weaknesses and the difficulties and the insults, all these things really, whether it's whether the thorn in the flesh is an illness or whether it's a, a persecutor, those things are stopping him from doing what he thinks, what, sorry, doing what God's called him to do. They're preventing him from doing it as far as he can see. So his conviction becomes this. God's called me to do this. And these things feel like they're getting in the way, but actually God's going to use them to bring his power and enable me to get through anyway. So the context is the call of God. The context is believing God. The context is doing what God's asked us to do. It's believing God. It's believing in faith what he's asked us to do. And in that, 
He's trying to win the Corinthian church. He's trying to win them to him. That's part of his role as an apostle. And he's talking about weakness. And this principle of doing what God's called us to do and weakness not actually preventing us runs through the Bible. So Moses, stutterer Moses, I can't speak. God says, go and speak to Pharaoh. Weakness, difficulty. God uses him. Gideon, a fearful farmer hiding in a wine press threshing wheat, which, by the way, is virtually impossible. That's how scared he was. The angel of the Lord appears and says, mighty warrior. What happens? This fearful farmer leads an army of 300 to defeat multiple hundred thousands of Midianites. How? Weakness, God's strength. God's strength enabled him to do so. Elijah, as Dan mentioned earlier, the man calls down fire from heaven, but he's not this amazing prophet. The next minute, Jezebel says, Oi, I'm after you. And then he's in the desert, depressed, wallowing in self-pity. The man's weak, but he gets used by God powerfully. Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, angel comes to her and says, You will conceive as a virgin. And she says, really? And then she says, with God, all things are possible. Or with God, nothing is impossible, whichever way you want. She's convinced of God's power in her weakness. She can do nothing about it. God does it. So how can we best understand, let let me give you an illustration to help you understand this principle more dynamically. So who's heard of Bob the Builder? Well, good coverage. Well, I am Ben the Builder. I haven't got a hard hat. I have got a tool belt, though, but I didn't bring it with me. Um, Imagine if I went to my boss as a builder. The boss is going to be located here. This is my boss. Hello, boss. And the boss says, I've got a job for you, Ben. I want you to build a massive mansion down the road. And I say to him, no problems, boss. I'll sort it out. So off I wander to my garden shed, located over here. And I open my garden shed and go, there's a few planks of wood, a couple of bricks, a bit of cement. I'll see what I can do. Come back to the boss after trying for three minutes and realizing I haven't got what I want. I can't, I can't do it, I'm afraid. I can't do it. It's a ridiculous situation because... If I'm going to build a mansion, I'm not going to draw my own resources to do that as a builder. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the boss's warehouse. I'm going to go to his warehouse, which is massive. It's full of everything I need to build this mansion. He's got all the resources I need. You get the point. God calls us to do things. And we sometimes go to our own garden sheds and go, I don't think I've got the resources. Let me, just, let me just congratulate you on arriving at the right assessment. You don't have the resources. But we've got access to God's warehouse. We've got access to his power. We go to God's warehouse for what we need. He comes. When we boast and delight in our weaknesses, Christ's power, his resources comes and rests on us. 
And I can't help but think, but the gospel is such a wonderful example of this principle. The Bible tells us that we're called individually by name. And we hear that call. And we want to be in relationship with God. But we can do nothing about it. We can try and book up our ideas. We can try and live a good life. We can try and make amends for the things we've done wrong. But we'd never, ever be good enough for God. We could not dwell in his unbridled holiness without being burnt up by his perfect wrath. It wouldn't happen, my friends. We don't have the resources, the ability to make ourselves acceptable to God. It's an horrendous situation. We could do nothing about it. There's no point going to our garden shed for our spirit level. It's not going to help us. What are we going to do? What? Well, the gospel says this. You do nothing but believe in Christ. He has done everything we need for our salvation. The gospel says this. Jesus died in our place. The gospel says this. All the punishment and wrath that you and I deserve was put on Christ. Every ounce of punishment for every sin was put on him. We, we don't do anything. We contribute nothing to our salvation apart from an inch of faith. We're saved by grace. We're saved by his power. Our salvation is not based on our power. That's how our relationship with God starts. And through this letter, through this portion of the letter, that's how Paul is encouraging us to continue. You see, we get used to doing life in our own strength. We get used to doing things in our own strength. But the gospel tells us something completely different. The Bible talks about something completely and utterly different. And for me, looking at who Jesus is, looking at the gospel, looking at this power that comes from him, is such a good place to end something like this. Because there's a danger as we look at weaknesses and insults, all those sort of things, we can start getting introspective, looking at ourselves. But I just want to lift our eyes heavenwards. I want to lift our eyes to the maker and creator of all things. If you're struggling, if you're in the midst of difficulty, if you're fully aware of your weakness this morning, if you're going through trials, let's look at him. Let's lift our heads to this wonderful Savior, this amazing God. Let's focus on the one who works good out of bad situations, whose grace is sufficient for us, whose power is made perfect in our weakness, and who enables us to say, when I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I can. Because that's the outworking of the gospel. That's the outworking of Paul's principles here. He wasn't trying to win the Corinthian church with his own impressiveness. Don't try and win me or friends or others or God with your impressiveness. 
Let's delight in our weaknesses. Let's boast in our weaknesses that we might have Christ's power come and rest on us. Now I appreciate that message was a little bit shorter than you may have expected or may have been used to, but that's okay. Because we had a couple of words during the meeting about shackles and rescue. And I want to give plenty of opportunity for us to, to look at that and to pray into that. And I, I believe this message provides a context for that as well. Because sometimes we can think it's rescue from situations. And yet God definitely does that. He brings healing. He brings release and he brings freedom. But actually, Paul's rescue from his situation was the grace of God and his power. Paul's rescue was bringing his mind in line with the word of God when it came to weaknesses and difficulties and seeing them as blessings and things that God uses and ways to access God's power. So why don't we just stand? Should we do that? Someone's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. Let's focus on God. And if God's challenged you already, I just encourage you to focus on him. There could be a tendency to focus on your weakness. But let's just focus on him. And I believe God will just want to highlight some specifics as we worship. It may be, it may be that you personally, God's speaking to you, and that's something you know you want to deal with. And we'll, we'll, we'll work out we'll handle that in a second. It may be that God gives you a word of knowledge that is relevant to the rest of us as well. If that's the case, come forward, have a chat with Dan, and we'll see when we can feed that in. But for the moment, let's worship, let's focus on him.